Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram. Just look for Bairdo37. Today, I'm looking at the community of Yorkton, Saskatchewan, located about 300 kilometers southeast of Saskatoon. It's got a really interesting history, and I was really excited to dive deep into it. So why don't we get right to it? The Indigenous The Yorkton area has long been home to the Indigenous people, especially the Plains Cree. And along the Little White Sand River and Yorkton Creek, there's archaeological evidence that shows encampment sites and hunting activity dating back thousands of years in the area. The area that would become Yorkton is situated in the semi-sheltered Aspen Parkland ecoregion that provided a blend of protection from the open elements and plenty of wildlife. The nomadic hunting culture of the indigenous meant that while they would often stay in the area, they would move on following the herds of bison over the landscape before eventually moving back through over the years. The Founding of the Community in 1882, the York Farmers Colonization Company was officially founded with the goal of creating colonies out west as the railroad began to move through, which would eventually connect the country from ocean to ocean. The company had an initial capital of $300,000, which was the second smallest capital of all the colonization companies applying for land at the time. On February 11, 1882, the company submitted an application for land from the Minister of the Interior, and on May 11th, a reply was given that they would be granted the lots of land they had requested, with only a few exceptions. The company chose to call these townships York Colony, and the first men to leave Ontario to settle this land were James Armstrong, J.J. Smith, W.F. Smith, and William McFarlane. The four men were soon joined by seven other men, and they spent their summer clearing the land and building shelters for the winter. Only four men would stay for the winter, including James Armstrong, who would say, quote, Alone, four of us lived together from November 2nd until April, 
without hearing or seeing anything to relieve the monotony or any communication with the outside world, it could be not much worse to be in jail. We were 60 miles from any settler. End quote. From these four men, many others would follow as the colonization company began to advertise the land available. The area would gain the name of York City in 1883, but soon after, the name was changed to Yorkton, since there was already a York City in Ontario. James Sharp would become the first postmaster for the community, while a Mr. Reeman would open the first general store and the first stopping house called Queen's Hotel. A stone mill was also built providing employment for several settlers, and the company also paid men $25 for every 1,000 feet of lumber they could haul from Whitewood for the construction of the mill. Unfortunately, the company would immediately hit problems when the proposed branch line off the main line did not come through the community. James Armstrong would blame the government as well for letting homesteaders abandon their plots around the community so they could be closer to the railroad. There were also bad crops throughout those early years, and the Yorkton Farmers Colonization Company closed its doors in 1887. By 1888, the consensus in Yorkton was that if it was to survive, the community had to move. In 1890, the old town site was abandoned, and a new town site along the Manitoba and Northwestern Railway Company line was built. Soon after, Yorkton quickly began to grow, and before long there was a courthouse, feed stables, blacksmith shops, a creamery, two hotels, three general stores, and a lumberyard. A newspaper, The Messenger, started up in 1892, lasting only 12 issues before it folded. On July 15, 1894, Yorkton became a village, and with new immigration policies in place, it quickly began to grow. In 1900, Yorkton became a town, and on February 1, 1928, it was the eighth city in the province of Saskatchewan. Today, Yorkton is the sixth largest city in the province, behind only Swift Current. Sir Wilfred Laurier Visits The importance of Yorkton was exemplified on July 20, 1910, when Sir Wilfred Laurier, the longtime Prime Minister of Canada, arrived in Yorkton for a special event. In honour of his stopping in the community, a three-arched structure with a welcome note on it was built and put in front of the CPR station. A band from Langenburn was hired to play for the arrival of the Prime Minister, and prior to arriving in Yorkton, he had made several stops in several Manitoba and Saskatchewan communities on that day, and each time he was greeted by huge crowds just as he was in Yorkton. Laurier would speak to the people of Yorkton from the rear of the train car, stating, quote, Every dollar given to the railways is given for the purpose of getting a better price for the goods of the men who till the soil. End quote. He then did a tour of the local wheat fields and said that he had seen nothing better during his tour of the Canadian West. And in speaking with the crowd afterwards, he stated, quote, I come from the eastern provinces where the British element is strongest and supreme. But here you have a more cosmopolitan people, and I'm glad to see the British are willing to share whatever they have with their fellows. We recognize that we are all Canadians, and that we should join together to build up our nation. End quote. The Saskatchewan Western Development Museum One of the best places to visit in Yorkton if you have interest in history is the Yorkton branch of the Western Development Museum, which has branches throughout Saskatchewan. 
In the Yorkton building, there are different artifacts, including a 1907 Maxwell Roadster that was given to a Mr. Skelton in 1915 in exchange for a saddle horse and pig, and which he would drive for eight years. There's also a Morris rod weeder used by George Morris on his homestead through the 1920s and 1930s. One of the more interesting parts of the museum is the Twin City 60 Monster Tractor, which is composed of steel and weighs 28,000 pounds. It includes 7-foot drive wheels and a 60-horsepower engine. Also included in the exhibit is a Yorkton local history and an exhibit that celebrates 100 years of Saskatchewan history from 1905 to 2005, including recreations of Indigenous life, early settlers' life, and the growth of the area through the 20th century. A mural recreates the railway station scene of Yorkton in the early 20th century, and several showcase rooms highlight the use of artifacts from different cultures, including the British, German, Ukrainian, and American. The Yorkton Courthouse The courthouse in Yorkton, which dates to 1919, is one of the most recognizable features of the community and one of its most stunning. The building was designed by Maurice Sharon, who was the chief architect of the province from 1916 to 1930, and the courthouse in Yorkton was built between 1919 and 1921, and it was the first to be designed by Sharon in the province. With such a large courthouse, it showed the importance of Yorkton in the area during those early years. The building is clad in Tyndale stone and clay bank brick, and the generous use of stone represents one of the last times a courthouse was built of stone rather than brick, as became more common through the 1920s. Due to its importance in the history of not only Yorkton, but the entire area, the courthouse became a provincial historic site on February 15, 1988. The Yorkton Organic Milling Limited Located in the downtown core of Yorkton, the Yorkton Organic Milling property is one of the oldest structures in the community. In 1890, the brick-clad mill was built, and eight years later it was moved to its present site so that it could be closer to the rail line. By 1900, the mill would expand with a new wood crib building, followed by further expansions in the 1940s and 1950s, all of which remain to this day on the site. The mill had been built by John Smith, one of the early businessmen, who had also built the Yorkton Brick Company, and he would sell the mill to Levi Beck, who had operated under the name of Northern Star Flour until 1936, when it was sold to the Yorkton Milling Company. The facility would continue to operate until 1989 when it closed, but it remains a landmark in the community to this day. To that end, on May 12, 1997, it was made a municipal heritage property. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. 
Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. A fire demo turns nearly deadly. The Yorkton Volunteer Fire Brigade had been operating for several years when a mishap would occur in 1906 during a community fair when the fire department was putting on a display of its precision and teamwork. Conducting a mock rescue, everything went awry when the fire engine broke down and the flywheel flew off, which resulted in an intentionally set fire now burning without the fire department having the means to put it out. The building had been erected on the old fairgrounds, and it was burning down and a woman was calling from the top floor in night attire for help, which was part of the plan and would have shown the fire department saving her. That woman was actually Hugh Furby, dressed as a woman, and he now saw that the fire department was dealing with problems of its own, and the flames were starting to creep up towards him. The ladder company quickly grabbed a ladder from the cart that now had an axle broke and was sitting useless in a field. As they reached Furby, his nightgown was now alight, and he was quickly pulled from the building, saving his life. Thankfully, while this incident nearly resulted in tragedy, no one was hurt and the fire department learned an important lesson in ensuring training exercises go off without a hitch. The Death of Constable Rowles It was a day of mourning for Yorkton when on July 4, 1932, Constable Navakowski was on patrol between Yorkton and Foam Lake due to reports of breaking and entering. At 1.40 a.m. on July 5th, he attempted to stop a car, but the driver instead tried to run the constable down, forcing him to jump to safety. Constable Navakowski would give chase towards the car that matched the description of the vehicle that had been involved in the robberies, and for the next hour the constable chased after the car as the occupants fired their guns at him, to which Navakowski responded in kind. After an hour, Navakowski stopped and notified Corporal Rowles at Foam Lake by telephone about the men coming towards the community. A half hour later, he was notified that Corporal Rowles had been shot and killed by the men in the vehicle. Every available man was sent out in the district to find the robbers turned murderers. The three men were caught at three different places, at three different times over the course of July 6th, based on reports from residents. Mike and Bill Kurilak made confessions in which they stated they were in the car stopped by Corporal Rowles, but they said that Bill Miller, the third man who had been killed in a shootout by a constable Parsons, he was the man who killed the corporal. The two men were tried at the Yorkton Court, and on October 1st, 1932, William was found guilty of murder and sentenced to death, while Mike was found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to 15 years in prison. The Yorkton Armory in the center of Yorkton, you will find the Yorkton Armory, a T-shaped building that's two stories high, that was built from the clayback brick with stone and beautiful Art Deco details. The structure was built in 1939 as the Department of Public Works was in the process of modernizing the country's military, which began in 1936. 
The Yorkton Armory is only one of three drill halls that were constructed by the department during this time period. And due to the historic associations of the building, its role in the area during the Second World War, and its environmental and architectural value, the structure was made a recognized Federal Heritage Building on July 23, 1998. The Yorkton Navy and Air Force Veterans Building On another military note in the community, we have the Army, Navy, and Air Force Veterans Building. The first building was built in 1909 by Franklin Colicott, who then built a second building next door in 1915, which housed the hardware store that he had inherited from his father Thomas, who was one of the first businessmen in the history of Yorkton. Over the years, the building has served many businesses, including a Switzer shoe store, and both buildings have become a recognized feature in the community. The buildings were constructed in the classical design using brick and stone and have large street-level window openings, which showcase their role as a prominent store in Yorkton's first mercantile district. Due to their historic nature in the community, they were made municipal heritage properties on August 8, 2005. Queen Elizabeth Arrives It was a very big day for the community when Queen Elizabeth II herself came by train to Yorkton on July 29, 1978 as part of a tour of the Canadian West in the lead-up to the Commonwealth Games in Edmonton. Accompanied by Prince Philip, when she arrived in the community she disembarked on Broadway and took an open car to the Agriplex where she was presented with several gifts and was given the opportunity to cut the birthday cake for the community. One issue when the Queen arrived was that the red carpet that was rolled out for the royal couple, well, it arrived late, and then when it was unrolled, it was far too long, and that would have made it lumpy as a result. So, it was cut quickly to ensure that the Queen and Prince Philip did not trip walking into the building. The Mayor of Yorkton then pledged, on behalf of Yorkton citizens, allegiance to the Queen, and Queen Elizabeth then met with several veterans of the First and Second World Wars, and several other residents who spent hours waiting to catch a glimpse of the Queen. After the official ceremonies, the Queen travelled by closed car to the Yorkton Airport and took a private plane to her next stop in Regina. The Hudson's Bay Company Store There was a time when the Hudson's Bay Company was the most important company in Canada, right along with Eaton's. To have a Hudson's Bay Company store meant that a community was thriving, and Yorkton was one such community. Today, you can see a glimpse of that past at the Hudson's Bay Company store located downtown in Yorkton, where it has stood since 1912 when it was first constructed. The store represents a time when the company was transitioning from fur trading into a retail business in the early part of the 20th century. Built with brick and terracotta clay, the store is one of the most recognizable buildings in the downtown core of the community. For 40 years, this store was where residents went to get modern fashions, supplies, and much more for their day-to-day -day lives. It was eventually sold by the company in 1954, but it continues to serve as a retail location used by generations of Yorkton residents. As a result of its long history, the building was made a municipal heritage property on March 26, 1990. The Orkney Church 
One of the oldest buildings in the area is the Orkney Church, which is 7 kilometers northwest of Yorkton and has sat on the same plot of land since 1893. The process to build the church had actually begun in 1890 when several residents came together to build the new building that so many would use in the coming years. The cornerstone was laid down on June 10, 1893 by Reverend Frew, assisted by Reverend Hugh Hamilton. One year later to the day, the church held its dedication service. Built by the Scottish homesteaders who settled in the area from the Orkney Islands, and to which they gave the church its name, the building is an excellent example of stone masonry rather than a more common wood frame construction. The church was used by those of the Presbyterian faith, and a school was also constructed nearby with the same name. The nearby cemetery would be constructed in February 1896, with Ruth Watson Wiseman being the first person buried there. Today, the property is a municipal heritage property. Vincent Massey comes to visit. Another big-name visitor came to Yorkton in years past, and this time it wasn't the Queen but her representative, the Governor-General. Specifically, it was the first Canadian-born Governor-General, Vincent Massey, who arrived in Yorkton on May 19, 1955. Thousands of people came out to meet the Governor-General on a beautiful spring day, even climbing into the trees to see him pass, or waving from their windows and cheering from the treetops. His train had been delayed, but he did not want to keep anyone waiting, so he hopped in a car and drove down to Yorkton, where he was met by the mayor and a guard of honour from the 53rd Regiment. He gave a welcome address and then attended the RCMP ball in the community, where he was given, by some accounts, 100 presents. He also attended the inspection of the Royal Canadian Air Cadets in Yorkton, and an old friend, Ralph Hind, who knew Massey 30 years previously, was on hand to meet his old friend once again. A parade was also held and Massey shook hands with veterans and members of the St. John Ambulance Corps, as well as school children. The final event of the day was the opening of the schedule of the Northeastern Saskatchewan Baseball League in a ceremony in Jubilee Park. I hope you enjoyed that episode, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-E-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.